Hi, I'm Marianne Stixer from EAT. Welcome to the first episode of the Food Can Fix It podcast. Today's guest is Gilbert Hongbo, President of the International Fund for Agricultural Development and the former Prime Minister of Togo. Born and raised in rural Togo, Hongbo has spent more than 30 years working to improve the lives of some of the world's most vulnerable people. We caught up with him in Stockholm to discuss the importance of investing in women, how his upbringing has shaped his passion for working with smallholder farmers, and why it's time for the international community to stop the talk and start walking the walk on making youth in rural areas a priority. President Hongbo, welcome to the Food Can Fix It podcast. We're delighted to have you as our guest. Thank you so much for having me here. So you are the president of the International Fund for Agricultural Development, also known as IFAD, a UN agency based in Rome that's been around for, for some time, 40 years, I believe. Could you explain to our listeners what the origins and, and purpose of your organization is? Uh, it's, uh, if I may, I will start it um, by recalling that it's true that we were created in 78, so there were 40 years the little story that, uh, if you might recall, um, in the early 70s, we had the international community had the first oil crisis. And in those years, that oil crisis led to food crisis, which has created the need to have an international conference on food. And that international conference in 77 or 74 led to the creation of the International Fund for the Agricultural Development. The whole point is to create a fund that will provide financing available for the rural community, the poorest of the poorest country, the poorest community in the poorest country, to make sure that when you have those financial crises, those price of food crises, they are not um, disproportionately hit. Um, so we start um, doing business uh, since uh, 40 years. Of course, our business model is very simple. As I said, we focus on women in the communities, in the remote area, in the low-income income countries. We provide loan, what we call sovereign loan, meaning the loan to the government, making sure that the gov- those loans are used for those communities. That So we have to agree ahead of the time that the loan will be used for this, this, this. So what is interesting in that um, business model, essentially they are highly concessional, which means the interest rate actually um, when we're doing, we're preparing the loan, all of that, we will take a service charge of 0.75%. Once we took that charge, there's no interest. They have the country, the government have 40 years to repay back, and most of the time with 10-year grace period. So it's essentially like a grant, mm. but progressively we can get the money back, you know, starting from 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. 50% of our portfolio is in, uh, in Africa, um, essentially focusing on sub-Saharan Africa, the low-income countries, and partially also in uh, Asia, and very few countries, uh, very few loans in uh, Latin America and Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. And uh, can, you, can you give me an example of what sort of projects you, uh, you, you help finance in these rural areas? Um, first of all, uh, you're right, it is in the rural area. Mm. We're focusing on what you call the farm or non-farm activity, meaning that it can be directly for the production of soya or production or, um, of milk mm-hmm. or, or just livestock 
or it could really be um, financing communities uh, that are create, um, engaging in a income generating activity in the rural um, area. A typical uh, project for us, and it's important to keep in mind, before I give the example, to keep in mind that while we are in the agriculture, farm, and non-farm rural area, we are a financing um, entity. Mm. And therefore, the, sometimes the financing may not be directly in agriculture, but the most important is to make sure that you are focusing on the women, helping them to increase their income and to increase the food security. So a typical example would be like in Uganda, for example, we have a project which we call a um, saving and loan typical project where you organize the community for them to start saving. And out of that saving, they can also lend money to the membership. Mm. It's a kind of um, a credit union that you will call it maybe in uh, Western Hemisphere. Mm. But we do that progressively from you start with maybe 100 members and it grows, it grows, it grows. And today, tremendous impact to see how I've been there myself to visit uh, the impact of our project last uh, about a year now to see how um, women have been uh, lift, doing much more job and uh, generating the income and uh, sending kids at, uh, at, at school. So this is interesting. So you, you, so, you, so you mentioned women. Why is it that you're focusing on women? Why are women so important? No, for us, it's a very, uh, for me, not only is it a matter of principle that we know it, uh, and uh, the, the, the Nordic uh, country in general are a very good example, um, mm. Norway uh, in particular, uh, but beyond the question of principle, for, for me, it's also a matter of an economic, um, um, economic argument. Because quite frankly, I believe the study are very clear, the matter when you invest, um, when you invest in the women, the, um, the outcome for economically speaking, and also socially, um, are greater. Mm. And then when you uh, invest uh, um, in, uh, you know, in, in, in men, in men, that's, that's, uh, that's really the, the, the reality. And we're seeing it on the ground. Because we they invest in their family and the investigation of their children. And, and Exactly. Yeah. And even the business sense, mm. the, 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 the businesses are greater mm. on, on that. So it's important for us to, um, now we're making it even uh, almost part of our business plan. Uh, mm. We, what we are moving now is um, the study that I was referring to when I talk about the twenty-four million, fifty-one percent were women, fifty-one percent were women. But for us now, we have to move to the next step. It's not just a matter of having to make sure that as a minimum fifty percent are women. We have to engage in our projects progressively to be transformative to contribute to the transformation of the societal dimension of the gender. So not just to make sure that the, benefit, uh, the, the beneficiary are health, so the whole way of the, how the, the society goes with the gender issue. So what we have put together in our project, uh, we, we will have a household kind of survey. We mm -hmm. start with the household survey to make sure that we sit down with the community, with uh, the uh, the, the, the families and to understand where they want to go from here, mm -hmm. what do you want to do? And that already helps understanding the dynamics. Right. And bringing is not always easy for um, in, in some part of the world to, to serve men all of a sudden having um, all been managed by women and mm. etc. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes not always easy. Mm. So by having this kind of household survey processes, it helps to um, identify and 
determine how you want to go it accordingly. Right. And quite, uh, it was quite uh, successful. On the flip side, I have to say that it is also very interesting to come to cases where you will see that uh, the case I was referring to, the, the, the uh, saving and loan project, uh, Northeast uh, Uganda. Uh, when I went there with the, the, um, the, the, the managing committee met uh, on, on that, 75% of them were women. Um, including wow, the uh, person of the of the managing director, uh, the directorate. Where was this? Um, in Uganda. In Uganda. Okay. Yeah, and the the head were women, the secretary, the treasurer. Uh, it, it's fascinating, and fascinating. some of them, their husband, were part of it, and then the the decision was. So the transformation is happening. So you're uh, really also contributing to a cultural shift in some sense. That's what I'm talking about. The transformation. It's poverty work uh, and it's gender uh, yeah. work. It's gender work as well. I'm not the two in, intrinsically interlinked, but but very much so in what you're working on and changing and shifting mentalities and in. And creating a, mm-hmm. an equilibrium there. Now, we understand that you grew up in rural Togo yourself. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what that was like and how that's impacted your your advocacy for, for smallholder farmers and also especially youth, which is very important to you, I know. No, it's very, very clear that sure, I grew up in, uh, in rural Togo in, uh, in, those, uh, in, do, in those days. Mm. Um, so th- that's why for me doing this job today is... Uh, I have to remind myself that uh, at the end it's a job, but very often I feel like it's a call, and uh, that uh, that's a minimum that I need to to do to get back to um, <clears throat> the left behind. Because mm. uh, unfortunately, we still have uh, some left uh, behind. On the flip side, it helps you understand that, quite frankly, um, in the past um, 40, 50 years, there, there has been tremendous improvement. We have to recognize that yeah. poverty has gone down, a lot of improvement in a lot of countries. You know, So, on, yes, the road's still long, and we need to turn and look uh, forward, but uh, a, a lot has happened. Now, it also tells me that uh, we should not take things for granted. And meanwhile, um, 30 years ago, we didn't have the challenges we are living today in terms of uh, um, climate climate change, which is now a reality today. Um, we didn't have the population um, growth uh, that we are experiencing today. Mm-hmm. So it's important for us to triple or double our efforts. Do you see how climate change has impacted your where you came from in Togo, in the rural areas oh, of Togo? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In what Just way? the unpredictability of the weather itself and you know one of the challenges we have in our work today is the uh, the, the the weather related insurance yeah. um for that we need to provide to which is quite um, a headache i have to say though we are working on it so you can see the unpredictability um from the extreme weather condition be it uh, uh, too much rain and therefore flood or be, be it uh, the uh, the drought the and, uh, and the, the prolonged heavy winds uh, heavy etc so th- that in itself is uh, is very very um uh, huge and I don't want to. I don't believe we should limit it to just uh, drought and and flood. What is also happening, like uh, uh, more and more, when you see the invasion of the uh, of the cricket, the army worms, and all of those uh, challenges that we are having uh, in in different parts of uh, the the world today, um, it's really so. Obviously, nobody, including the rural people. Uh, not considering um, weather-related challenge today as problem for the future mm. is, is, is now. And I, I'm quite uh, optimistic uh, that the, the rural people are 
to a certain extent, the one of in my mind one of the easiest group to convince. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's part of the natural behavior. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when I was uh, growing up, um, of course, the, one of the challenge you don't have uh, you don't have uh, um, energy, and therefore you use the the the, the, the wood, which is uh, this, you know deforestation, right? But I remember when it was growing, it's like the principle that, you know, for every tree that you cut, you have to plant two young trees. Yeah, yeah. Um, progressively, when we move to the cities, we tend to forget that, tend to forget that, and that has created the, the deforestation. So yeah. when you bring people back to the initial way of behaving in a natural rural setting, oh, yeah, that's why our grandparents were doing this. Oh, okay. Now, then... That's the point I was making uh, yesterday is that I fundamentally believe that it is doable for us. On one hand, to increase the production, increase the productivity while protecting the environment, either through technology, either through um, change of behavior um, or just making minimum equipment, basic equipment at their uh, disposal, they quickly change and they quickly um, uh, adapt. Because you see the rural people, maybe they will get there, and I don't necessarily wish that, but maybe they will get there where the more you get, the more you want to get. Mm. You see, uh, the, the, this is life, right? Yeah. But it doesn't take rural people that much as us to be satisfied. Mm. You see, and therefore they get to a point where it comes more naturally for them, okay, at this stage, this is the red line right. in terms of protecting the environment mm. where I'm still feeling safe. Mm. So that's what I do believe yesterday I was making the case that be it for the small-scale fishermen and women or be it for the uh, smallholder farmers, the economic, the environment, and the social the tree can really go together. It's interesting what you were saying about trees. As, as I was just talking to a Kenyan farmer who's attending the Eat Forum and who's educating his local community about the impact of climate change and the importance of, of adapting um, their agricultural practices. And one of his key messages centered around the importance of planting trees. And he formulated it in a beautiful way. He said that trees are the king's in the food cycle, they provide us with food, they purify the air, they, they provide shade for the livestock, um, strong winds are broken by the trees. He put it all into context, and but he was saying that it took time to educate his local community and make them aware of, of what actions they could take in the face of climate change, rather than just leaving the rural areas and migrating to the cities, often leaving the most vulnerable populations behind, like women and children. And this is a topic that was um, noticeably raised in a report that your organization came out with last year, the state of food security and nutrition in the world, which pointed out that for the first time, famine is on the rise again, for the first time in in over a decade. And this is largely due to climate change and conflict. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, we were all very uh, disappointed. Um, And this the second report is uh, underway now. We, we shall see the report uh, of this year, maybe a few months uh, now, and we'll see what 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 uh, what is uh, happening. What if is it's, happening? Uh, if it's only one exception last year, or if it's a new trend, uh, mm. we will have to look at it. Um, but you see, what you listening to 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 you, it brings again back to one of my 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 resolve, one of uh, my drive 
you know, it's not just the agriculture. It's not just about um, food security and nutrition. It's about rural transformation. If you feed people, if you feed them, they, are, they have nutritious food. But then in the global uh, globalized world, they just cannot access their WhatsApp or their, their Viber or what have you in mm. the rural area. If tomorrow their cousin are coming back from the America or from Norway and they feel that they are better off, they will still be tempted yeah. to leave the rural area for the capital. Mm. And when the capital, they, they get disappointed, now they will think about leaving the country. Mm. So to me, it's crucial to have a global approach of which is linked a little bit to our uh, city planning, that it's not just in the big cities, that in the rural area, making sure that the basic social services are available. Um, you know, it doesn't, to make sure that the kids do not have to work more than, uh, I don't know, to, in, within a, um, a perimeter of, uh, um, I don't know, five kilometers to make sure that you have a, a I believe this is a UNESCO norm, you have a, a school, uh, a primary school av um, available. You want to make sure that there's the basic uh, health care center and that if you, that you can really have a quick uh, malaria test and then if you know that you have malaria, you can have the uh, medication uh, um, available in the corner and know that you have to go 10 kilometers to see if the pharmacy is open. Yeah. Those are the basic thing that the youngsters to make sure that the kid can walk in the street uh, with no uh, security, big security challenges. Yeah. And I do not believe that it's a huge investment. Again, just because we do, the, the rural centers, rural area do not have yet the challenge we have in the cities. So to me, um, we need to continue going beyond the full security and nutrition looking at that a little bit on integrated approach. This is what the SDGs are about, actually, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the rural. At the, at then, and with a little bit more technology, what I call having technology, simple technology, not necessarily hugely complicated, available and affordable. And then when there is a little problem on the technology you use, you don't need to wait for two months to have an expert coming from Europe to fix it. Right. Once we are able to do that, Progressively, people will start settling down in the secondary or ter uh, tertiary level um, cities. So in order to achieve this, I, I understand now why youth is such an important focus group for your organization. If you want to retain people in these rural areas, if you want to make their lives um, uh, attractive and not be tempted to go to America where their cousins might be or to the cities, mm. then you need to focus on youth. What, what, how are you working with, with, with youth? For me, it's very clear. Um, all of us the international community, the, the, the government, the, the private sector, everybody. Uh, today we know that focusing on the youth is a priority for us all. So I believe it's time to to stop the talk, uh, you know, instead of just uh, talking the talk. You know, we need to walk the walk yeah. now. So for us, what we are doing, um, yes, in our, all our program, as I said, uh, youth is one of the four areas that we are focusing on. But more specifically, what we did, uh, we created uh, what we call the ABC, which is Agribusiness um, Capital Fund. In addition to what I explained at the beginning, that our loan, a direct sovereign loan that we give the government, making sure that then we use it for the community, is also create this fund where we can fund, we can give loan or take participation directly in startups 
in as much as they are in the rural farming and non-farming area by the youngsters. So the, that will be opportunity of job creation directly for the youngsters, either because they have their own startup or they can just start individually or a group of them or cooperatives or some kind of associations that can say, okay, we want to develop a 10-hectare um, farm or we want to have uh, a dairy or we want to have this transformation. or want to, and As much as it's linked to that, they can come and therefore ask direct financing. And what we want to do is to target that lower end, um, which means uh, below $1 million, and we can go down up to uh, 50000 of course, the lower you go, the higher the transaction cost. We need to, that's what we are working on, and some of them we will work with intermediaries in the countries that we are serving. And we will start in, in, in uh, low-income countries and the, the youngsters in low-income countries. Um, as you know, the European Union is also quite very um, forthcoming in this, uh, um, with their uh, EIP, uh, European Investment Plan, which all of that, I believe, is going to be of help. In addition to youth, I was intrigued to find out that you work with another group that I, I wouldn't immediately have associated with IFAD. You work with chefs. What role do they have to play? You know, in nowadays, uh, um, first of all, I have to say that we want to make sure that um, IFAD's story is more and more told to make sure that we can also listen to the community we are serving, to the youth, to the youth that we are targeting so we can continue also improving our business model and uh, the our the service and product lines so we we just happen to believe that by using the chef which is somehow the 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 tail end of what we do in the production absolutely. end up there absolutely and they can be a good ambassador if i can use that term mm-hmm. to really see the how you can take the the production and and make it uh, make that known the, the other reason for it, which is quite uh, important, is more and more to develop the notion of value addition. For the small farmers or the youngsters to see the chefs, maybe taking those production from the rural community, and sometimes they can even, uh, one of them was explaining to me uh, two days ago, um, you know, they traditionally can have the way of preparing this type of meat. They can take the exact recipe and just maybe changing the way they're cooking it or adding some flavor mm-hmm. that they have learned, that can be totally different new menu for themselves and gri- gri- giving ideas for them to be able to sell and making money out of it <laughs> on, on, on that. So uh, we found out they are very good ambassador. And it's also important because so they are so the chefs are so creative. Um, on the spot last time, you know, there was, I believe, some onion or tomato that was almost about to be thrown away. Yeah, they were, yeah. And they just find a way, don't know, there's, no, no, we don't want to waste. There's, we have to fight against waste and loss. Mm-hmm. And they just turn it in a way that, I mean, that's been very tasty. I tasted it. So it, it, it's quite, uh, so they are a good ambassador to sell also to yeah. present the story for, um, for us. And it's something that we even want to increase. Now, I have to say, I see you light up as you talk about food here. So I do suspect that you might be a bit of a foodie yourself. Now, final question since we work with with food. If you have time, when you have time to invite your closest friends and family over for a a nutritious, tasty, healthy meal, what would you serve them? Oh, it depends. Uh, So maybe different, uh, different, different up. Uh, When I, when I feel a 
nostalgic, I would say, and say them my back uh, back home uh, dishes. Mm. And sometimes, uh, you know, I can even uh, think about a good uh, uh, sashimi with uh, Norwegian salmon. <laughs> <laughs> that all sounds lovely. President Hongbo, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. Much appreciated. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you want to hear more from President Hongbo, check out his Eat Stockholm Food Forum talk, which is on Eat Forum's YouTube channel. We're back next week with two celebrity chefs, Manal Alalem and Anahita Dondi, who are passionately engaged in delivering a better and tastier food system for us all. In the studio with me today was producer Gustav Glomset. I'm Marianne Stixet, and you've been listening to the Food Can Fix It podcast, produced by Eat.